1: Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, USBets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. And we all know about my struggles in the Fast Five this season. We've noted that it would be almost impossible to do worse if I just flipped a coin for every game. Uh, well, it turns out I could really turn my luck around if I enlisted the Reddit poster known as Pong is Lame as my coin flipper. Uh, <laughs> as Jeff Edelstein covered for US Bets this week, Pong is Lame digitally flipped a weighted coin for every Raiders game before the season started, and so far he's 10 for 10 on the money line, which is mathematically less than a 1 in a 1,000 shot. Uh, John? John? Do you trust the coin? Uh, The the coin says the Raiders will beat Dallas on Thursday. Will you bet that because the coin says so? And does it make it any less cool to you to know it's a virtual flip, not a physical flip? Uh,
2: Okay. Um, (laughs) Here's Brennan math. If more than a thousand people waste their time on silly (laughs) things like this, at that point, I would say there's a very realistic possibility that one of them goes 10 and zero on something. well, of all the gin joints in all the world, this one just happened to walk into sports betting and U.S. bets. So now also, if you add up the number of people who will, as you say, trust the coin and the number of people who go against it because the coin is due to
1: lose. <laughs> right.
2: Well, Both groups contain a non-zero number of people, and that's sort of scary um speak of enumeracy, i know some well-educated people who think that the fact that my twin brother and i coincidentally married women with the same birthday not date is almost impossible to comprehend now a spoiler alert for those listening to freeze the show right here so they can noodle it through what are the odds of that happening <laughs> okay dear listener now you're back the odds others happening are one in 365 and one-fourth which should be a Could give away to how to figure it out. Hopefully, the odds of my twin and I being born on the same date are easier to figure out. And it is not 100%, but it's close.
1: (laughs) Right. Well, I would have I would have uh, guessed wrong uh, because I would have said one in three sixty five, forgetting the one fourth. Uh, okay, I would have been slightly okay, yeah. off on that with my immediate uh, answer. Um, and you know, it's funny you point out that yeah, if a thousand people try this, uh, one of them's one of them's <laughs> gonna get it. Uh, Pong is lame. Actually, gave himself a greater chance than we're realizing because he flipped the coin for not just every Raiders game, but every game, period. Uh, so the chance that he would get one right out of 32 yes. is, is, that, is a little bit higher. But that said, um, he sent Jeff Edelstein a list of which teams he had in the playoffs. And it has a chance to be shockingly accurate uh, in the AFC ravens bills chiefs colts patriots browns and raiders uh the last two were both iffy but not out of the hunt um the only thing he really missed badly on is not having the titans but then again they're so injured it's not impossible that they're gonna go on a bad losing streak now and miss the playoffs um and in the nfc he had buccaneers rams cowboys packers 49ers saints and vikings The first four are all definitely making the playoffs. The last three are on the fence. Uh, The only team he whiffed on was not having the Cardinals up there. Um, But anyway, uh, I certainly agree with you. There is no logical reason to actually trust the coin. But at the same time, I kind of feel like why not keep going until it loses? Uh, At at the very least, I trust the coin more than I trust myself when it comes to NFL picks in 2021.
2: But why not just say it's due to lose I mean that seems just as uh, compelling to me an argument but
1: <laughs> I guess I, I maybe it's just a case of whichever side I take is going to be the, uh, the side yeah, I, that I, fails at this point
2: I, I do believe that
1: <laughs> okay right you're not a superstitious person except you do believe that I am a mush yeah. and a cooler that you'll buy into I, I agree yes <laughs> all right um, thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 170 of gamble on if you missed any of our previous 169 episodes there all available on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other podcast apps. We ask that you take a moment and flip a coin. And if it comes up heads, give us a five-star rating. But if it comes up tails, also give us a five-star rating.
2: Now that's the spirit and uh, coming up a little later on the show, we're going to be joined by our Pittsburgh-based colleague, Gary Rotstein, talking about Pennsylvania versus New Jersey gambling industry comparisons, his perspective as a son of a problem gambler, and whether he thinks the Steelers are a good bet to make the playoffs. But first, it's been a busy week. It all crunched into two days in the world of gambling this week. So let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling.
1: As John just indicated, it's a short holiday week, so maybe there hasn't been quite as much news as usual, but there is one enormous, fascinating story to kick things off with. We go to Florida, a state known for its ridiculousness in all aspects of life, and that only in Florida designation has now carried over to sports betting. On Monday night, District Court Judge Dabney L. Friedrich nullified the compact between the Seminole tribe and the state that permitted mobile sports betting across Florida, basically agreeing with what our friend and podcast guest Dan Wallach had been saying all along, that to allow mobile betting anywhere but on tribal grounds violated IGRA. So after three weeks of the Hard Rock betting app operating as a monopoly in Florida, it's over. Or is it? Uh, As of our recording, the Seminoles haven't shut down the app, are still taking wagers, and say they plan to continue doing so while appealing the judge's ruling. Meanwhile, even though in-person betting and other aspects of the compact were not in violation of IGRA, the judge's order avoids the whole compact, so even in-person betting has to start over as soon as the Seminoles decide to obey the judge, that is. Uh, John, give me your analysis of what has happened this week, uh, but I'm also very curious what you think happens from here as DraftKings and FanDuel are working on a separate track toward operating in the state, and, and also some legal experts believe the appeal of Judge Friedrich's decision could succeed.
2: I mean, this is what Supreme Court Justice Elena Kagan wrote in her majority opinion in a 2014 case involving a Michigan tribe uh, as to what limitations tribes might have in offering gambling in the U.S. Everything, literally everything, in IGRA affords tools to regulate gaming on Indian lands and nowhere else. She added that gaming activity under IGRA means literally, quote, each roll the dice and each spin of the wheel. Now I'm no attorney, but I think that means that under Igra, tribes only can offer this sort of gambling on their reservations. Mm-hmm. So meanwhile, I found this sort of weird. The subplots beneath the blockbuster ruling are first that the plaintiffs had legal standing and would suffer economic harm if the Seminoles' mobile betting in the last few weeks continues. That's not surprising. Then that there was no need to add the tribe as a formal intervener, as the New Jersey Thoroughbred Horsemen were for years in that epic battle that got us all started in the first place in Christie II, as they call it. Because the U.S. Department of Interior can represent their interests just fine. Okay, that's plausible. Yet the plaintiffs offered to sever the uncontroversial part of this compact, Seminoles, offering sports betting at their casinos. Nobody, including Wallach, disputes that part. So why did the judges do that instead of killing the whole kit and caboodle? Because, the judge wrote, the Secretary of the Interior forfeited any request for severance by omitting it from its motions to dismiss its corresponding replies and its supplemental briefs. Now again, I'm not a lawyer, but it would seem to me that it would have been interesting to see if the tribe had an opportunity to, per Justice Kagan, roll the dice and ask the judge for a quarter of a loaf if she was considering offering none at all, which she offered none. So I'm a little confused there.
1: Hmm. Yeah, in- interesting stuff. There's a lot of layers to this. Um, one thing uh, I find it hilarious how disingenuous the appeal filing from the Seminoles is uh, claiming the tribe will suffer, quote, irreparable harm if a stay is not granted, but the, but saying that the plaintiffs will not be harmed if a stay is granted because that would just, quote, maintain the status quo. So <laughs> three weeks of shady, legally challenged operation is, is now the status quo, not the many months and years before that of no legal sports betting. That's not the status quo. I don't know. That uh, that stood out to me. Um I don't know for sure where uh, the appeals are going to lead. Um, It's possible a judge somewhere along the line will disagree with Friedrich and with Wallach as to how IGRA applies here. But um, I I just find the whole situation so unnecessarily messy. If the state government of Florida wanted to give its citizens legal access to sports betting and wanted to generate tax revenue for the state, There were any number of models out there for how to do it successfully and in a way that actually serves the public. And they ignored those and made their own little backroom deal with the Seminoles and came up with this monopolistic mess that's getting held up in the courts. Now it's fascinating and fun and exciting from a gambling media perspective. It gives us plenty to talk about. <laughs> but if you really want to legalize sports betting in your state and keep bettors from betting with offshore books and you know serve the people who want safe and legal access to sports betting, this clearly isn't accomplishing that. Um, and, and, and in the meantime, while I expect the app to stay active for a while, it seems that's what, what they're planning to do until they're 100% sure it's not legal. Um, If I was in Florida, there's no way I'd be placing any futures wagers on this app. And I'd I'd even be hesitant to have any significant amount of money in my account right now. It, It has the potential to get frozen at any time, I would think.
2: And this is a sovereign nation, so I'm not sure who you sue if you don't get mm. the money back. I mean, uh, it's it's not an illegal offshore sports book where, you know, if you call the state attorney general wanting your money back, they're going to laugh at you. Like, right. hey, you, you screwed up. But it's also not the U.S. government either. So um, I will, well, I do have to add really the, it ain't bragging if you can back it up, Department. Uh, as you say, who knows what other courts will rule. But at this point, you know, Wallach did tweet the other day, I'd like to file a missing persons report on all legal experts and gaming industry analysts who took public positions or intimated that online sports betting via a tribal compact was legal under federal law. That wasn't even a close call. Now, my father, as I've noted in past podcasts, was a very humble man in spite of serving in at times deadly combat World War II and then coming home for a nice 39 year tour of duty for the fire department of New York. I really admire that, but that said, I can't blame Daniel for that shot across the bow. At times he does have a target on his back and he's allowed to fight back. I think.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I think he, uh, he has earned a, a victory lap here. However, whatever the <laughs> final ultimate outcome of this might uh, turn out to be, uh, you know, he's not right, He hasn't been right about everything in every state and, and, and all that, but in yeah. Florida, he's been pretty dead on since the, the moment that this, uh, this uh, compact was entered into.
2: Yeah, so you can, uh, like I said, victory lap is uh, warranted. But as you say, it's not we're not done yet. Right.
1: Uh, All right. Uh, Our next stories are nowhere near as major as the Florida news, but they're interesting just the same. Uh, First, in New York, a new bill has been introduced that would take most of the $230 million the state's horse racing tracks get from slot machine tax revenue and divert it to education and social services. If passed, this bill could pose an existential threat to the horse racing industry in the state. And might impact other states as well, as it could set a blueprint, given that similar legislation has been proposed in Pennsylvania. Uh, John, you're the East Coast horse racing industry expert here. Uh, How serious a blow would this be? And does the New York Racing Association have a good argument that the tracks and breeders deserve to keep getting this money?
2: Um, I think this is part of an overall political disagreement in the U.S. over whether change should be incremental or massive, right? So, of course, there's an obvious surface case we made for shifting money from horse racing purses to what are seen as much worthier causes, sure. But the love of unintended consequences is in play here, too. Mm-hmm. Not only are thousands of jobs at stake, but most are not white-collar or six-figure jobs. So is the cure here worse than the disease in terms of benefiting the ordinary Joe ordinary Jane? Uh, there are also issues of open space that disappears along with the horse farms when uh, you do this. So and other big picture, horsemen have to realize is demographics. Their best customers are getting older and older until they aren't anymore. Right Not only do the next generations have less interest in horse racing, they have more interest in animal rights. You know, the worst part of the terrible spring 2020 horse doping indictments of dozens of race horse racing industry figures was the conversations caught in a sting operation of horsemen laughing at the number and manner of deaths of a horses so casually. It's one thing for horsemen to get greedy and cause a horse's death and be remorseful about it, but making it to a joke, that's despicable and it's going to come back to bite them, I think. If you told somebody 15 years ago that in 2021, there will be no more animals at the big circus shows, you'd have been laughed at. But here we are. Well, if you told me now that there will be no more horse racing in 2036, I wouldn't laugh at you. And unless the horseman recognize that possibility, the more likely it is to happen, no matter whether someone agrees with that change or not. Hmm.
1: Yeah, really interesting analysis. Uh, I didn't realize that there were no big animals in the circus. I guess I didn't even know that the circus came around anymore. But uh, I guess I'm, I'm I'm out of the circus loop. Um,
2: a, a big elephant was is a big, a powerful lobby. It turns out, who
1: knew? I guess so. Uh, there's an elephant in the room joke to be made here, but I can't oh, quite yeah. piece it together. I don't know. So. Yeah. Um, As for the the horse racing thing, I get the concepts behind the arguments on both sides here. You know, if you're pro horse racing, you're right to say that the New York Racing Association transferred land to make the slot revenue possible. And so they're working together. They deserve their cut. If you're on the other side, it's understandable to say, hey, horse racing industry, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and be profitable and earn your own money. Plus, you know, you may see these other causes as more important ones to give this money to. I see both sides it's largely philosophical it basically kind of comes down to whether you care about the horse racing industry or not but um but but the weak point of the case for those willing to damage horse racing in New York as you point out is that it does employ a lot of people so are you going to create other jobs with the way you divert the funds you better or or else it's a, a highly problematic bill just on a jobs front but um it's an interesting situation and dilemma, and uh, certainly other states should be watching closely to see what comes out of this.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a question of how much you believe in government, right? I mean, when uh, uh, Newark, New Jersey devoted $210 million toward a uh, $350 million arena as the New Jersey Devils hockey team plays in now, you know, one of the people I talked to about, I'm like, $210 could do a lot of good in a city like Newark. And one of the principals, involved said to me, where do you think this money's going if it doesn't go to the arena? The arena is actually going to be a tangible thing. Thousands of construction jobs, thousands of permanent permanent jobs. Uh, it's going to definitely improve the uh, profile of the city, which is done. And you can argue that it's not worth 210 million, million, but still it's something. But if they didn't spend it on that, where is it going? And I was like, yeah, that's a fair point. Because it wasn't going all to helping uh, you know, the uh, soup kitchens, that's for sure.
1: Yeah. So, you know, education and social services, that sounds great uh, in theory on paper, but, uh, you know, who exactly is benefiting? I guess that's uh, an important part of all this.
2: But even so, you know, we're talking about this and saying maybe it's not a great idea, but we're heading in the direction of getting this out, that Mm -hmm. animal rights activists are uh, young and growing in power and they're getting there. So it doesn't matter if you think it's fair or not or horse racing is a great idea or it isn't. It's not about that. You know, you have to focus on, to me, on what's the likelihood of what's going to happen. And I think we're heading in the direction of this is going to go out of style, just like those elephants in the circus. Mm -hmm. And so you can say that's crazy. It makes no sense. You know, it doesn't matter. Don't get caught up in that. If you're in the industry, you have to realize this could happen. And if it could happen, you have to do all kinds of things to uh, change the narrative at very least politically. Right. Uh, otherwise, they're they're going downhill. And I think they're the industry is not really fully focused on where things are headed. That's why I mentioned the circus because nobody in the circus industry saw it coming. That's for sure.
1: Right. All right. Uh, I'll I'll continue this conversation on my circus podcast that I do on the side. Uh, (laughs) um, All right. For our final story this week, uh, we go to Tennessee, where the news is that there is no news. Uh, The status quo might be maintained with regard to one of the strangest and most unpopular rules any state has for sports betting. As we've discussed several times, Tennessee launched betting with a rule but sportsbooks were required to hold at least 10% of all dollars wagered or else they would be penalized. But with the Tennessee Sports Wagering Advisory Council, or SWAC, in the process of taking over for the Tennessee Education Lottery in running sports betting in the volunteer state, they had a chance to update and change rules, and some expected, that they would do away with the 10% hold rule. Uh, We learned this week that the SWAC plans to keep the rule. John, any surprise that the SWAC isn't taking the opportunity to get rid of this rule and is the penalty, a $25,000 annual fine modest enough that the sports books won't really care in the end.
2: This one has always confused me and it's kind of a short week. So I'm going to be kind of a uh, regular Joe amateur doesn't know what he's talking about, Guy, and you can straighten me out. So okay. I, I think maybe the idea is that if the books can't lose, then neither can the state, right, in terms of tax revenue. A book that has no gross operating profits in a given month would seem to have no tax to pay. So what seems like a perk for the books maybe is really a partnership between Treasury and the books versus the consumers, Tennessee on the wrong end or not. That's why I need you to help me out here, Eric.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I guess that's Part of what's behind it is that, yeah, if you can force them to have a 10 percent hold, then you're guaranteeing that you as the state are going to get your tax revenue percentage from each book each month. I I guess that's part of what's behind it. But again, I just think it fundamentally misunderstands how sports betting and and all gambling works. You know, you just overseeing a, a blackjack table and saying you must, you know, blackjack is supposed to return what? 2% to the house, 1.5%, something like that. You must return 1.5% to the house every day at blackjack. You can't control that. There are going to be days where you return 5% and there are going to be days where the house loses. Um, It's just part of the way that that you can make the VIG so outrageous in sports betting that it's almost impossible for the house to lose. But Again, almost impossible. <laughs> There's still going to be times when the the betters run good, and of course you're you're turning them off with you know if you're putting up minus one twenty lines instead instead of minus one ten lines or something. I just think that this misses the way that the whole industry operates, and it just with regard to rules like this, you know, everywhere you turn. There's ego involved. Every state seems to have people who need to put their yes. stamp on sports betting. They, they know better than the states that are doing it successfully. We talked about that already with Florida a little bit. Uh, we've seen it all along with Tennessee where, hey, let's introduce this ridiculous rule. Uh, and no matter how many people tell us it's ridiculous, it's our thing. We came up with it. It's uniquely Tennessee. We're going to do it. Uh, it's it's ego. And that ego has transferred from the lottery to the swack, apparently. But... Um, Ultimately, though, I feel like it's all toothless because the penalty is so insignificant. Um, You know, these are companies that are spending tens of millions of dollars just to get into New York. So $25,000 a year, you know, their CEOs wouldn't notice if you took $25,000 directly out of their personal accounts, never mind the company accounts. Um, So in in the end, as interesting as it is to discuss, this is kind of a non-issue because the operators are not really motivated to care whether they hold 10% if the penalty is only 25,000 bucks.
2: Well, even better, the bookies, any honest bookmaker, and they're more than mm-hmm. the people think, will tell you that it's great when they lose in a given month. It's it's huge news. Oh my God, uh, you know Nevada or New Jersey, whatever, or New Hampshire, certainly on uh, it. They lost money last month, but the gamblers love that. I mean, if the book if the books lose money in a given month, the gamblers have extra money, right? Right. And what are gamblers going to do? They're going to spend it. So it, it, it uh, it's actually a plus for the books in the long run, and they know that because they feel like the the gamblers have a little more cast or if they work more, uh encouraged they might get their friends involved hey i won you know 800 bucks last month whatever and they're getting involved so in a long run they come out ahead anyway so there's no there's no downside really for either a sports book or ultimately a, a state you know treasury to a uh, a losing month it just encourages gamblers to gamble more and they're going to get the money in the end anyway so there's no reason to have this so you're right ego is definitely involved here
1: yeah. And I mean, as far as the win- betters winning begets more betting, it's exactly what we were talking yes. about with the October handle numbers being through yeah. the roof because people were having a good couple of weeks in October. <laughs> but um, there's definitely a theme in our in our news segment this week, though, that of uh, a lot of people in and around politics getting in the way as people in and around politics are want to do. We're kind of seeing different forms of that in, in all of these states that we're discussing here this week. Yeah, that's for another podcast. Though. <laughs> I suppose so. Not my circus podcast. My my fourth <laughs> podcast about politics. Yeah. <laughs> okay. There you go.
2: It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling.
1: Let's get to the Gamble on interview. Every week on this podcast, the listeners get to hear a Pennsylvania guy and a New Jersey guy discuss and debate all things gambling. But this week, I'm stacking the odds in Pennsylvania's favor. We're doubling up on the Keystone State by welcoming back to the podcast our colleague from the western part of PA, writer and editor extraordinaire and primary reporter for our penbets.com site, Gary Rotstein. Gary, welcome back to Gamble On.
0: Thanks for having me again.
1: So we'll do a lot of comparing and contrasting of New Jersey and Pennsylvania in this interview. And I'll start with a more Pennsylvania-centric question and leave something more Jersey-focused to John. My question is about brick-and-mortar casinos. Pennsylvania just keeps adding them. A new mini casino opening date of December 22nd was just announced, and that'll bring the total in Pennsylvania to 16 properties. Uh, As John and I have discussed plenty, nine seems to be the right number for Atlantic City these days. Based on the revenue numbers in Pennsylvania and what people in the industry are saying, is Pennsylvania in danger of oversaturation, Gary, Uh, or, or because they're not all clustered in one city, is there room for that number to keep going up?
0: Yeah, the, uh, we have three more casinos than we did a year ago at this time. We're adding a fourth new casino, in uh, as you noted, in December. There are two more in the pipeline, the so-called mini casinos. Uh, that could be open a year from now also. And what's happened so far, as they've been adding, is there's been some cannibalization or siphoning away of revenue from some of the other casinos' closes. But the overall revenue picture keeps improving. It's a little fuzzy because there's so many other factors that work there with COVID and uh, competition from online gaming and other factors and all the restrictions that were there with COVID. So it's a little hard to separate out sometimes just what is most influencing changes in revenue. Uh, But I think the operators would mostly be happy right now that the overall revenue uh, is on track uh, showing improvements, even if some are, are are showing some losses compared to a year ago.
1: Right. So I mean, like one thing that, you know, obviously in Atlantic City, it's well known that uh, several years ago they had to contract a little bit, bit and a few casinos went out of business and then some of them were reborn under new names. But I haven't heard any talk at all of any thought of any casinos in Pennsylvania um, struggling and, and having to contract. Uh, there, there hasn't been any talk in the last several years to that effect that you know of has there.
2: Right.
0: Uh, And and what happened different from Atlantic City, I think, is is Pennsylvania did have a strategy of spreading these out from the four corners of the state, from Erie to Pittsburgh to Philadelphia and up in the northeast with uh, Mount Airy uh, and Mohegan Sun. And then a lot of these newer properties now, the mini casinos, as they're called, smaller, maybe one third the size of other casinos, those are popping up in the less populated central region of the state, um, known as a sort of a convenience gambling to cut down drive time so that, oh, instead of driving an hour or an hour and a half to a casino, maybe now I'm just a half hour or 15 minutes from one near me in York or uh, near Reading. Uh, And so maybe I'll do that, whereas I wasn't going to make the big trip. Uh, what would be interesting about this new casino opening in December in Berks County is it's only about an hour away from Penn Nationals' other two casinos in Dauphin County and new York County. So it will have three three casinos within a, like a triangle hours drive of each other. It'll be interesting to see to what extent it's cannibalizing itself and whether it cares about that so long as the overall revenue ends up bigger.
1: Right.
2: You know, Gary, uh, as a former traveling sports writer, you know, like Johnny Cash, I've been everywhere, man. And uh, I know what a good sports town is and I know what it isn't. I'm looking at you, Atlanta, Cough, Los Angeles, for instance. But um, <laughs> Philly is a great sports town. Pittsburgh's a great sports town. I love them both. And uh, so I would expect there to be a lot of wagering there. Now, New Jersey in October uh the amount bet was 1.3 billion, and the amount in Pennsylvania was the patriotic 776 to a million, I think. Now you can say, well, you know, let's say 300 million of that was New Yorkers really crossing the state line, and New Jersey only gets a billion. But then I can say, wait a minute, Pennsylvania got 35 percent more people, so they should be that far ahead of New Jersey. So it's not only that; it's not even close. And I and I, I just can't figure out. So as a Pennsylvania, can you can you enlighten me on this?
0: I can throw up my hands, uh, (laughs) uh, enlightening you. I don't know. It is baffling. Uh, We've got two bigger sports cities than would be the case with any city in New Jersey, uh, and more professional sports teams, uh, more major college uh, athletic programs to bet on. And speaking as a native Pittsburgher, it's in our water or our blood or something, the idea of sports betting a Uh, If you go out to Las Vegas, many of the most noted odds makers in Las Vegas, guys who are in the uh, sports betting hall of fame, as it's called, uh, names familiar to anyone who follows the industry, such as uh, Jimmy Vaccaro, Art Manteras, Chris Andrews, Jack Franzi, they're all native Pittsburghers, and they're just an example of the kind of people, what people do in Western Pennsylvania, they happen to leave, there's still plenty of people doing it here. And so I, I know the figures you're citing. I follow them myself. I can't figure it out. What? Why would a New Jersey person bet more on sports than a Pennsylvania person? And I agree with your bafflement. I'm not exactly disappointed by it because right. we, we, we have a program to bring in more tax revenue the way we do it. Uh, we're still bringing in more money for government, which helps reduce my taxes compared to maybe a New Jersey person because of the way we approach taxing the industry getting revenue from it for the government but you know why we can't at least be on the same level as new jersey on a per capita basis you got me bud
2: yeah i definitely could say that uh, i could frame it as why are pennsylvanians so much more sensible with their discretionary spending uh the amount they spend on gambling than new Jerseyans are so reckless that would be another way to put it i guess (laughs) absolutely
1: Um, So changing subjects somewhat, although not entirely because you did mention uh, sports betting or or gambling being being in a Pittsburghers blood. uh, And this connects to that. Uh, you, You wrote a powerful essay a little over six months ago connecting a recent study on problem gambling with your father, who was a problem gambler. I'm curious if he were alive today and living in Pennsylvania, how dangerous do you think the accessibility of online gambling would be for him? And and, and more generally, more broadly, how do you feel about the level of safeguards and helplines in place nowadays?
0: Well, one thing about uh, my dad, he would have been pretty safe from online gambling because his use of a smartphone or computer was tantamount to uh, trying to put plutonium in his hands, you know, <laughs> uh, he never uh, he never adapted to any of that. He, when I grew up, he was on the phone on the phone with the neighborhood bookie, uh, using code names, and I was sort of fascinated by that uh, in a broxtail uh, kind of way. Hmm. And uh, then he went out to Las Vegas to live, and he was doing the traditional kind of using the sports counter. If, if today, even a kiosk. If you put a, if you had asked him to go use a kiosk today, which is uh, you know a very common way where sports betters all do their betting now, and it because he, he would have uh, run away uh, in, in terror as well. Um, so dad, not a problem. Other people, potential problem. Um, the thing that bothered me most when uh, online gambling became uh, legal in Pennsylvania, both sports betting and casinos, and I was surprised by this, is that you can use credit cards. Uh, in a way that is not really easy to do in a casino. Debit cards, I wouldn't mind. That's cash that you have. You, know? you risk it, you lose it. Well, you're not in, you're not in debt. You know? Credit cards, I'm surprised there's really no big debate or acrimony about people being able to use those and go thousands and thousands of dollars into debt while financing, uh, be it their sports bets or their online casino bets. Now, in the favor of the online casino industry, they do have safeguards for responsible gambling that are not available when you walk into a casino. Uh, the different tools on your smartphone or on your computer to limit the uh, amount of time you spend, the amount that you deposit, the amount you spend or lose in a certain period of time, that's all possible. Uh, the thing that troubles me a bit is I, I, I've never seen any good research on how many people make use of that and how effective it is. I think. It's high time for someone to produce some solid evidence that that is, in fact, helping people. Why that hasn't occurred, I'm not exactly sure. It could be because there's so few people making use of it. uh, It's hard to get enough of a sample size to do good research. I don't really know as of yet.
1: Hmm. it's interesting that you brought up the the credit card part because I, I don't really spend much time thinking about that just because it's not part of my habits I personally fund my accounts with PayPal I find it both I find it easiest but also I never really thought about the fact that that's all actual money I've put there and not on credit I, I'm uh, not to, not to pry too deep, uh, personally, but I know you have accounts with a lot of sites. Do you use credit cards or do you use some sort of more, uh, bank, bank withdrawal, PayPal type method? Yeah,
0: I, I, I typically use, uh, my bank account, a bank transfer from, uh, my actual bank account and sometimes a debit card. I have occasionally used a, uh, a credit card, but, uh, when it seemed somehow more convenient, uh, it's not the typical way of doing it. And I don't like doing it and I don't hmm. think I should be doing it.
1: Interesting.
2: Yeah. Uh, Gary, I gotta tell you, I thought uh, my Steelers pick on Sunday night was a good one. And uh, kind of almost wound down a 10 and five week for me. But I got completely lucky in that game, not only for two touchdowns in the last five minutes, but I, I my understanding was that the Charters have a terrible run defense. And the Steelers can run all over them. And even an aging, you know, over the hill, Ben Roethlisberger can be bailed out by this great running game. And instead, the Steelers hardly run at all. And Roethlisberger has, I thought, a very solid game. So even though that's technically a winning bet, I don't really understand what the hell is going on with the Steelers. So <laughs> as a local there, maybe maybe you do. Uh, you know, I don't know. I think they're five and five or whatever. And they. uh I'm just stumped. I mean, are they over the hill? Uh, Can they win a division, a plus 300? Is that something that's worth looking at?
0: Welcome to Steelers Nation, uh, John. Uh, You are now an honorary member uh, in terms of our bafflement at really coaching decisions. Uh, uh, Mike Tomlin's been extremely successful over his lengthy career, never with a losing season, uh, uh, which is incredible, but still – Game management decisions are are often criticized, um, and the odds that that uh, the odds to win the division they're they're in a division that doesn't have a losing team right now. Everybody's above five hundred, uh, and so their odds to win the division are actually ten to one. It's more like three to one to make the playoffs. Okay, and the main factor that so they've got a, they've got injury issues on defense. They've got a very weak offensive line. Um, Injuries to the receiving court, a lot of things that are holding back. Now, all teams, for the most part, have that at this time of year. So I hate to use that as too much of an excuse factor. What is going, what is hurting them in those odds are odds makers looking at their remaining schedule. Mm. Uh, they don't play a team below 500, their final seven games. Uh, 40, do look at 46 and 27. Is the uh, combined record of the remaining seven teams. There's a number of teams, they're, they're one of a whole host of teams in the AFC uh, that have a, either six wins or five wins right now that are not division leaders. Those teams are all jockeying for three wild card positions if they don't win the division. But none of those teams has the kind of schedule the Steelers have. Uh, the estimation before the season started was the Steelers had. Of all 32 teams, the toughest schedule in the NFL this year. And their easy games are over. And they only tie the Lions, as you know, barely beat the Bears. Uh, So it's all tough from here on. So I I think the odds makers are looking at that, saying these guys uh, have a very slim chance. And as a better and a Steelers fan, uh, I'm I'm not investing money uh, in them while looking at that.
2: Yeah, I'm just about sold on on going not even making the playoffs with the one caveat of uh, it seems like the Steelers always make the playoffs. They always find a way. I don't I don't know how it is. So, and I understand, you know, you're mentioning, it was mentioned on the national game that a lot of Pittsburghers are kind of uh, a little bit tired of Tomlin, which is fascinating to, you know, people from the outside. I, uh, you know, I'm in the area with the uh, New Jersey giants and the Jersey jets. And uh, yeah, they think Tomlin's a pretty good coach. They I think they'd be willing to take a shot at him if he's available. So I think I agree with you though, that they're not going to make it. And uh, so I'm going to pass on that.
0: Yeah, uh, not many people love their own coach, maybe outside of uh, New England. I guess there's a, you You just find so many faults. It's so much easier to find faults uh, than the good aspects. And while uh, Tomlin has been consistently successful, uh, there's been a tendency, especially over the past decade, not to win the big games. And we're so... Accustomed to the Steelers uh, being champions or close to it, that if they're not winning the big games, then we're dissatisfied, even though I I, I agree with you, if, if, if the Steelers let him go tomorrow, uh, it, it wouldn't be a week before he'd have a very lucrative deal with somebody else. He's only 49 years old, I think.
1: Boy, this 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 all uh, sounds very familiar uh, as an Eagles fan that we we had a coach who was here for a long time, <laughs> couldn't win the big games, but was generally very successful. And uh, at a certain point, it was just it was time for him to go. And um, I'm glad to have seen Andy Reid uh, achieve some success uh, somewhere else. But um, but connecting the two teams together uh, in Pennsylvania, I do wonder one of our Pennsylvania sports books ought to put a prop together on either Pennsylvania team to make the playoffs since they have, they're kind of around similar odds uh, r- right now. The Eagles have a lesser record, but a much easier remaining schedule. Uh, do you think you would do even money on one Pennsylvania team to make the playoffs, Gary? Yeah.
0: I checked those odds today. Um, the Steelers to make uh, the Eagles to make the playoffs. The yes from DraftKings is just uh plus 120.
1: Oh, that's compared all. To the Steelers
0: okay. plus 300. Hmm, wow. So it's just that the competition in the uh, NFC is so much less than what it is in the AFC. Uh, apparently. And also, I think the Eagles, uh, had, before the season started, might have been considered the uh, team with the easiest schedule of 32. Yeah. And I think a lot of their tougher games are out of the way. And they, uh, it's the exact opposite of the Steelers in terms of what they have remaining. So I think the odds makers are looking at that and saying,
1: these guys have a very good chance. Yeah. I don't have the exact schedule in front of me, but I know that remaining are two games against the giants, two games against Washington and one against the jets. So uh,
0: <laughs> mean, doesn't the other two don't matter all that much, or <laughs> right.
1: whatever, you know, right. we'll well, we'll see, I didn't realize that their odds had come down that far. In that case, you're not going to get even money on either, or it would be a minus price. I think if yeah. the Pennsylvania books do put that up there, but yeah, all a
0: great right, turnaround for the Eagles, they looked really sorry a few weeks ago, but they're once they went to the rushing game uh, credit, Kudos to Sirianni for so going to the rushing game now, which has mm-hmm. been tremendous. Uh, but at the same time, uh, a slap of the face to him for taking so so long to do it. <laughs> uh, you know, there was one game they win what like four times the entire game. Right. Or <laughs> you know, so it went from the one extreme to the other. But this extreme is working. But it should have happened at least to some extent earlier.
1: Yeah, although, as I was saying to John via private message, uh, I think it was either this morning or or yesterday, that uh, now the Eagles have roped me in to the point where I kind of care and I want them to make the playoffs, which it means the rug will get pulled out from under me now for sure. They'll they'll lose to the Giants this week, almost certainly. All right, Charlie. (laughs) <laughs> all right. Uh, this has been great. He is Gary Rotstein. You can read him at penbets.com as well as U.S. Bets and the, the other sites in our network. Uh, thanks for coming on the podcast once again, Gary.
0: Thanks very much.
2: All right. Thanks, Gary. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the gamble on bankroll.
1: We'll get to the fast five shortly, but first let's update our betting bankroll. And we came as close as you could come to breaking even without quite breaking even. Uh, You, John, did actually break exactly even. Uh, You you won, (laughs) that gets an all right, huh? A week where you don't lose money is a good week. Absolutely. (laughs) So you won $100 (laughs) with Michigan minus 14 and a half points. They covered with about four touchdowns to spare, Um, but you lost $100 sprinkling various bets on Kevin Kistner He had a disastrous day one and finished in the bottom 10. Um, With my bets, we won $40 on Kendrick Bourne over two and a half catches. He got there in the first half, but we lost $50 on Hunter Henry to score a touchdown. And then I had $25 on eight to one underdog McWilliams Arroyo against Julio Cesar Martinez. Arroyo scored a knockdown in the first round, and I felt great. Then he got knocked down himself in the same round, and I felt less great. Then he got dropped again in the second, uh, but the fighters clashed heads, and there was a bad cut, and it was ruled a no contest in round two. So we get a refund on our $25. Bucks. Uh, all in all, I slash we lost 10 bucks for the week. Uh, we're now down $1,733. We still have $1,410 on in Futures bets. That leaves us with $6,857 available to bet with this week, and you are up first, John.
2: Yeah, much ado about nothing there. That's for sure. Yeah. So, okay. Two straight easy college football covers has put a little stride back in my step. And my recent podcast, golf pick Taylor Gooch, winning his first PGA Tour event on Sunday, not that I picked it, suggests I was onto something there too. So Ohio State seemed too easy last week, and I stayed away, and they led 49 nothing at halftime against Michigan State. This week, minus eight versus Michigan, but I. Just can't pull the trigger. Instead, give me Oklahoma State minus four versus Oklahoma at 110 to 100 on BetMGM in the annual Bedlam game. Classic little brother versus big brother. And this time, I believe little brother Cowboys finally win and cover two. Really good defense, said no one ever about a Big 12 team, but I will say it here, uh, I realize. Uh, And the Sooners seem to have lost some oomph of late.
1: Um, So for my first bet, uh, let's have a little fun on Sunday rooting for an over Uh, Colts Bucks, the highest number on the board 51 and a half the Colts average 28.1 points scored per game the Bucks average a league best 30.9 points scored. Tampa Bay is a passing offense and their defense should force the Colts to be a little more of a passing offense than they'd like to be. And these are teams that know how to punch it in for touchdowns and not settle for too many field goals. Bottom line, let's find out if the Raskin NFL stink applies to over unders. Uh, I think there's <laughs> a little value on the over here and it's priced at minus one Oh five at WinBet. So let's risk one Oh five to win hundred and root for points.
2: All right, sounds good. Uh, uh, some might be surprised I'm passing up the match on Friday afternoon, a supposed showdown between Bryson DeChambeau and Brooks Kepka. Both are, well, kind of annoying, and <laughs> their feud heated up this year after the PJ Tour announced that bonus money would be had for the players with the biggest social media followings. Hmm. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe they dislike each other, uh, uh, genuinely. And also, they, they'll be playing for keeps probably on the back nine, at least. So that's a hard pass for me Instead, okay. I'm going to go with Wisconsin minus six and a half at 115 to win hundred at Minnesota to win some sort of farm equipment trophy, I think, or whatever they have as I buy the half point, I bet MGM. Now we need the stinking Badgers, not only to win and cover here, but also to turn that into a big 10 title game appearance for our long shot bet from three months ago. And uh, so we're going to go Badgers.
1: All right. So uh, doubling down on the Badgers. I like that. Um, My next bet is boxing, a great super bantamweight title fight I've uh, really been looking forward to, a battle of unbeaten Stephen Fulton from Philly against Brandon the heartbreaker Figueroa. My prediction is Fulton by decision. Uh, That's priced at minus 135. So let's bet $100 to win $74 on that result. But then I'm going to place a second bet that is a a hedge of sorts, but I feel like I have to do it. Uh, We had Fulton on our boxing podcast last weekend. Now, this is an actual second podcast I have, unlike the circus (laughs) podcast and the politics podcast. (laughs) Um, We had him on our podcast, and he told me directly that he feels a ninth round KO coming. Uh, Fulton by KO9 is priced at 20 to 1. I got to give it a shot. If he, if he nailed the prediction and I didn't bet it, I'd feel like a fool. So let's just go 10 bucks to win $200 on KO nine. So if Fulton wins a decision, we come out $64 ahead. And if he wins by KO nine, we're up a hundred dollars. Now, if Figueroa wins or it ends in any other round, we're screwed. But, uh, but I don't see that happening. Stephen Fulton wouldn't lie to me.
2: Well, thankfully, nobody you've had in your podcast is involved in a sport that has ever had any kind of, you know, shady <laughs> results where if you won this big bet, some might wonder, you know, whether they're, yeah, okay, so you're, you're good. I'll, you're good to go. I'll,
1: I'll just say this, there's a lot more money on the line for real for Stephen Fulton than there is <laughs> yeah, for, for for my bet on this, so. All right, fair uh, enough. Um, all right, we finished the show with the fast five where normalcy returned last week. Uh, we had one head to head and uh, as happens more often than not, John won that head to head with the Eagles covering comfortably against the Saints. John went his standard three and two. I went my standard one and four. Uh, John is back on the path to a season where he beats the Vig with a current record of 29, 25 and 1. And I'm back on my path to historical ineptitude and/or cursedness, with a record of 19 and 36. Uh, we're recording earlier in the week than usual due to the holiday, so we're using the super book lines as of Tuesday evening, not the official super contest lines. Uh, and you are up first this week, John.
2: Uh, yeah, it's my six, three, and two in eleven weeks. And after I noted, by the way, in after week one that hey, three and two is really good. You know what? I meant five and zero in retrospect. That was a mistake on my part. I mean, three and two is really good. But yeah, if I knew I'd get six of in them eleven weeks. All right. So anyway, so I lost only with the New Jersey Giants and New Jersey Jets last week, and I'm going to stay away from the swamp creatures this time. Okay. So that's a little hint. Um, <laughs> Raiders plus eight at Cowboys. Not just because you're coin flip deal. Um, you know, Dallas always has a ridiculous home advantage on Thanksgiving, even more so against a team traveling East. But no Amari Cooper, COVID, whatever. And mm-hmm. presumably no CeeDee Lamb and Tyron Smith left tackle. So that's just too much of the boys to lose. As was obvious last week, versus the Chiefs. So uh, so I'm not the coin flip, but I, I'll take the points when I get eight um falcons pick them at jaguars i think don't pick them might be a better listing here but <laughs> but the jaguars are a classic bad team that just needed one signature win for the season which they got against the bills a couple of weeks ago back when we thought the bills were good but i think they're still happy with that Matty ice grinds out a win here uh, then ravens minus three and a half first brown sunday night a risky pick, given uncertain status of both Lamar Jackson and Baker Mayfield at this juncture, but it seems more likely that Lamar recovers from illness than Baker recovers from being kind of broken all over. And something's rotten in the state of Cleveland. And I do just mean the city, I mean the Browns. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, a uh, football team minus one versus Seahawks, Monday night. Speaking of rotten, the, the boo birds rarely heard in Seattle in the past decade. were out in force on Sunday, if anybody caught that game. And now we have Pete Carroll back to USC rumors. hey, Pete's a great coach, but he's also kind of mercenary. Uh, the Hawks have never had a dead man walking season under Carroll. Uh, Russell Wilson doesn't know what this is. He's never lost three in a row before. And this is the sort of team that checks out a bit if they allow that first touchdown.
1: All right. Either I missed one of your picks or you skipped a pick. I, I, I only jotted down four. I've got the Raiders, uh, the Falcons, yeah. the Ravens and the football team. Was there another a f- fifth one that you forgot to say?
2: Uh, oh, yes. I meant to say there's, there's one more terrible game that is a don't pick them. Not literally, but uh, shouldn't be picked. And I'm going to pick it anyway. I'm going to take the Texans minus two and a half against the Jets at home uh, for the Texans. Uh, Zach Wilson apparently might be quarterbacking the Jets this week. And that's not a good thing. Who knows? And, you know, two years, he might be good, but he's not good now. Texans have a little bit of fight left in them. And uh, they got a chance to win the game and they're going to they're win this one.
1: Okay. Uh, All right, so those are your picks. Uh, Now it's my turn. And uh, I got to turn my Zoom camera on for this. Uh, You can turn yours on, too, if you want. Uh, Click There Uh, we go. My camera's on. You don't have to, necessarily, but uh, you're welcome to join me uh, in being able to see you. There you are. All right, so um, this is a visual Fast Five round um, because uh, I'm not making my own picks. I'm leaving it up to fate and luck and randomness so I can find out once and for all, do my picks stink? or am I just cursed this season and there's nothing I can do about it Um, in this hat that uh, you see me holding here, John, uh, I have the names of 28 of the 30 teams in action this week. Um, Two of them are not included. I'll explain why in one sec, but I will be pulling out team names at random. And that is how my picks will be made. And obviously if I pull a team and then I later pull its opponent, that second pull doesn't count. I'll throw that one away and keep going. Um, But I'm only using that for four of my picks. The first pick, um, this still counts as leaving it up to luck, just not my luck. I got to trust the coin. Uh, the coin says Raiders money line. <laughs> so that means yeah. Raiders will cover plus eight. So so give me that one first. I'm taking the Raiders plus eight. Uh, but now we have the excitement of finding out. Uh, we'll both discover at the same time what my next four picks are. I'm mixing them around in my hand. I'm not looking and I have pulled. Let's see here. Oh. Uh, Bad news for you, John Ravens minus three and a half Uh, our our second shared pick now. All right. We got Ravens minus three and a half. Let's go back into the hat. See, uh, see what the fates decide my second pick. I've got the Steelers plus four and a half. Who are they against again? Uh, The Bengals. All right. So I'm sticking in the, uh, that uh, AFC North division. I've got the Ravens. I've got the Steelers and I have the Raiders. So two more picks to come. Let's see. Reaching into the hat, we have Chargers, minus two and a half. Uh, they are at the Broncos. Uh, so, all right, it's all AFC teams so far. Let's see if my final pick keeps that trend going. It's very exciting. No, nope, we go to the NFC with the Saints getting six uh, against the Bills on Thanksgiving night. So those are my totally random coin flip style picks. I've got the Raiders the Ravens, the Steelers, the Chargers, and the Saints. Let's see if uh, this works any better or any worse, or uh, or maybe most likely I go two and two with these four and we learn nothing.
2: Yeah, you got the uh, George Cassandra opposites one a couple of weeks ago, and you would have been a rare three and two and said you got two and three. So <laughs> right. I'm not optimistic here. And plus, like <laughs> you said, you got a couple of my picks, which uh, is really concerning me
1: yep (laughs) rightfully so yep you should definitely be concerned Uh, all right that will do it for this episode of gamble line thanks everybody out there for listening and thanks again to our guest gary rotstein you can find me on twitter at eric raskin and john at bergen brennan and follow us bets at us underscore bets go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else. And with that, John, on this Thanksgiving week, please take us out.
2: Well, yeah, Eric, I was going to say one thing, and now I've flipped. Uh, the was gonna was going to be, after lost 2020 and millions of households casually watching the NFL during family get-togethers on Thanksgiving, this is the first time that some family and friends will have legal bets on games. So my first take was, listeners, don't bore the hell out of everybody with your multi-leg one-game parlay in a Lions-Bears game or, or the midday game that might make you suddenly wealthy. Then I realized, wait a minute, other than basic updates about family milestones, which are great. What other topics are people in 2021 across the political spectrum who are conditioned by the monsters who control social media liable to lean toward? Oof. It's so easy to believe you have a hot take <laughs> narrator. You don't. And even if you did, uh, do you really believe you're going to change anyone's mind? Uh, no. So two things. First, whenever you get close to firing that political Molotov cocktail comment, remember that it's a bad gamble family-wise no matter what someone else has said. Better to press down hard with your toes to the floor, a little secret. That automatically distracts your brain elsewhere. And if all goes well, that moment will pass. Second, by all means, at a key moment, interject that you're off to a great start in that parlay of the game at hand that could win you over $1,000. And if you do, everybody in the room gets an enhanced holiday present next month. I promise you there are allowed to be brethren who don't even like football, who legally ask to explain that, uh, what you need to do to win, rather than continue the whatever the conversation was. And with that, until next time, gamble on, pass the turkey, and pass on the politics. You give thanks to me for that on Thanksgiving night.